So if you could uh, open your Bibles and turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we'll start at verse 18 here in just a moment. Uh, but if you're at all familiar with Paul's letters, in almost all of them, he writes about the fundamental theological truths in the first section of the letter, and then he transitions into practical lessons on how to live out those truths in the second portion. Ephesians is a classic example of that format, where in the first three chapters, Paul taught about spiritual blessings in Christ, salvation through faith in Christ alone, and the oneness that all believers, both Jew and Gentile, enjoy through our relationship to God through faith in Christ. In chapters 4 through 6, Paul instructs us on how to live out our salvation that he so skillfully described in those first chapters. Now, during our July Sunday evening service, Pastor Chad preached on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, where the Apostle Paul argues or urges us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We are to do so with humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love. Paul's goal for the second half of the letter is to instruct us so that we live in a way that maintains the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul writes that God provides all his people with their God-given gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, as we read in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 12 and 13. In chapter 5, Paul continues this instruction by commanding us to be imitators of God as beloved children. We are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In verses 3 through 7, Paul lists how we, before our salvation, walked in ways that did not build up the body of God, but lived in the darkness of sin. Those ways included filthiness, foolishness, coarse joking, as well as all types of immoral and impure behavior. But in verses 8 through 21, Paul contrasts that behavior with the behavior of those who are saved and are walking in the love of Christ. Now, we'll be looking specifically at verse 21 tonight and the topic of submitting to one another. But that verse is part of a larger sentence that puts Paul's command in some helpful context. So as we uh, read Ephesians 5:18 through 21, it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, Paul has instructed us not to be controlled by the things that will lead us to debauchery, such as wine or other forms of alcohol. Drunkenness is a sin that never goes alone but it carries men into other evils, and it is a sin that is very provoking to God. Instead, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit 
so that our words and our actions will cause us to fulfill the command to be imitators of God and walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Now, I'm sure Pastor Mike could do a much better job at describing uh, ways to address one another in um, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Uh, but the idea here is that we are to address one another in an attitude of praise for God and lifting each other up so that we can all achieve and maintain that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Psalms in Scripture, even those that pour out lament over suffering, bring us back to praise for God. Hymns that we sing during our worship services and spiritual songs that we hear on the radio or sing with others also build each other up and bring praise and honor to our Heavenly Father. Although we may not specifically sing to one another, the idea is that we are to convey an attitude of praise and honor to God and encourage each other in our walk with Christ. And now we get to that sticky little phrase, submit to one another. When I see a word like this, I find it helpful to have a definition that, can, that we can work from. However, as you might suspect, there are a wide range of definitions of submit or submission that, uh, from the world's perspective, uh, and after looking at those, you might start to question how can these be applied to our relationship with fellow believers. So a couple of dictionary definitions that I came across uh, included give over or yield to the power or authority of another, And another one is to yield to governance or authority, to yield oneself to the authority or will of another. Now, those definitions cause me to think of how we interact with various governing bodies, whether it be on a national, state, or local level. Submission in those cases may mean something like following the laws and ordinances that have been passed. It may also include paying taxes. And as we experienced in 2020 and 2021, we were to follow the orders of our government leaders in response to the pandemic, many of which were unpopular, to say the least. Now, submitting can be more complicated than simply following the laws of our country or paying taxes. The world often has different views of what it means to submit. Some common synonyms to that words submit include capitulate, concede, give in, relent, yield, surrender, and my personal favorite, knuckle under. Now, as I read those synonyms, the notion comes to my mind is of one who has been defeated either physically or emotionally and must simply give up. This type of submission is one that we have no desire to do, especially if we feel that we are forced to submit to an authority that we do not want or that we do not agree with. Now, to be clear, Scripture does describe how we as believers are to submit to authority. We are, first of all, to submit to the authority of Scripture. Because As we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, 
correction, and training in righteousness. We also read that we are to submit to the authority of the leaders that God has set over us, such as the government, the leaders of our church, our employers, and others that may have influence over us. The only exception is that when what we are told to do is contrary to the word of God. Now, pastor and author Warren Wearsby provides some context to the word submit or submitting in this passage, as it literally means to be under in rank. It is a military word. It speaks of the way that an army is organized under, among levels of rank. There are levels of rank such as generals, colonels, majors, on down to privates, and each are obligated to respect the rank of those that are higher than them. Now, the idea of submission doesn't have anything to do with someone being smarter or better or more talented. It has to do with a God-appointed order. Anyone who has served in the military knows that rank has to do with order and authority and not necessarily with value or ability. Also, those who have served in the military know the importance of submitting to that authority. If someone decides not to submit to rank, that is called mutiny. Just as an army would be in confusion if there were no levels of authority, so society would be in chaos without submission to proper authority. I hope that you see the value of submitting to those that God has placed in positions of authority. But what about the statement that we are to submit to one another? Now, some have used that statement to change the intent of the command to submit far beyond what the Apostle Paul wanted to convey. Now, pastor and author Stephen Cole describes several ways that Christian groups have tried to interpret the command to submit to one another. The first view is one that he calls evangelical feminism which takes Ephesians 5.21 as an overarching, controlling principle of mutual submission that abolishes any hierarchical distinctions based on gender in the church or in the home. They would also appeal to Galatians 3.38, where Paul writes, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. These verses, it is claimed, do away with any gender-based roles in marriage or in church leadership. Now, many books have been written to refute this view, and I'm not going to try to, uh, to detail that. But in brief, it seems like the verses following our text, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, decisively show that Paul was not abolishing gender-based roles. Also, there are many other verses that stipulate male leadership in the home and in the church that we find in 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy, Titus, and 1 Peter. Pastor Cole's conclusion to this view, in light of the many scriptures to the contrary, is that this argument is a case of the church conforming to the world rather than standing opposed to the world. Another view is that submitting to one another 
has a sense of mutual submission in biblical relationships in which we lay aside our rights and humbly serve one another in love. This is the view of most of the commentators that I have read. It does not do away with the concept of hierarchical authority in the various God-ordained spheres, as the first view does. It argues that there is a sense in which even those in positions of authority should submit to those under their authority by not being self-assertive, but by serving in love. During a conversation with his disciples recorded in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 44, Jesus said, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Now, the command to submit to one another is both delicate and difficult. This command requires us to balance the responsibility and authority each of us has to those in our charge and to seek the needs of others as more important than our own needs as we read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, which says, Do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now again, let us remember the goal that Paul set out for us early in chapter 4 of this book, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So how can we even begin to fulfill this command? The answer lies in uh, verse 18 of our text. Be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit allows us to fulfill the command to submit to one another. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means to be under the Spirit's control. Every Spirit-filled Christian is a submissive Christian. If you are a believer, you have submitted your life to the control of the Spirit through faith in Christ. This allows us not only to submit to the God-ordained authorities around us, but it also allows us to submit to one another for building up the church and maintaining that unity of the Spirit. Now, this approach stands in stark contrast to the worldly wisdom. In business, the principle is often uh, taught that either put myself first or help others so that I can benefit. Yet Paul offers a better and higher way, noting that our service to others is service to the Lord. This is an important principle in the church, in the workplace, and in the family. And this is an important part of following the example of Christ, who submitted to the will of the Father and gave himself as a sacrifice for us. Now, the Apostle Paul adds one more phrase to this command, which should be the motivation for submitting to one another. We are to do this out of reverence for Christ. Several other Bible translations use the phrase fear of Christ or fear of God. In this, uh, in this verse, and as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones describes it, 
This is not the cringing fear of judgment, but rather the reverential fear that acknowledges Christ's supremacy as Lord of the universe. It is the awe of knowing that God has put all things together under subjection under Christ's feet, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord, as Paul wrote in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. It also gives us, uh, also includes the fear of grieving and disappointing Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us. Now let's be honest with ourselves. Our fallen human nature is not inclined towards submission. Even as believers, we have a strong propensity to resist authority. We must first and foremost bow before Jesus as our Lord. When we fear or revere him, we can more easily submit to the various spheres of human authority that he has placed over us for our good. Now, some of you might have looked ahead in Ephesians 5 and 6 and are wondering, am I going to address the topics of wives and husbands, parents and children, employers and employees? Well, I will have to admit there's a bit of fear and trepidation in taking uh, this scripture uh, too far tonight. Uh, But I thought it would be good to remind us that unless we as believers submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, there is no way that wives can honorably submit to their husbands or children submit to their parents. While husbands do not abdicate authority over their wives, they should lay aside all selfishness and authoritarian dominance. Instead, they obey our text by laying down their lives for their wives as they selflessly seek their wives' highest good. There is a sense in which even parents are subject to their own children as they serve them in love. As John Calvin argues, when a husband lovingly bears the burdens of his wife, is that not subjection? When a father lovingly gives himself for his children, there is subjection. When we assist one another, it is servitude or subjection. Thus, there would seem to be a sense in which we are all mutually to submit to one another without abandoning our roles of God-given authority. Now, that perfectly fits with the commands to husbands that we read in verse 25, that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. All through the commands given in Ephesians 5.22 through 6.9, we see that everyone who has an authority role must exercise that authority out of reverence for Christ. Because without that reverence, it is easy for those in authority to act selfishly or abuse that authority. Now, as I bring this message to the close, let's step back and look at verses 18 through 21 as a whole. We are commanded not to be controlled by the world, but be filled with the Holy Spirit and interact joyfully with those around us. The test of whether we are truly subject to God-ordained authority is whether we can submit joyfully. Now, grudging submission is perhaps better than no submission at all, but joyful submission shows that we are truly subject to God. Verse 21 is a continuation of the results of being filled with the Spirit, which include joyful singing and heartfelt thanks, 
We cannot separate submission from these two preceding verses. Submission can be joyful because we know that God has our good view, own good in view and that submission to proper human authority is ultimately submission to the Lord himself. Let's pray. Well, dear Father, thank you for allowing us to uh, study this word tonight. And Lord, we do pray that uh, uh, your spirit will move into, in each of us to joyfully uh, submit to one another out of reference for Christ so that uh, we may walk in that unity of the spirit and build up the community of faith. And we thank you again for this evening. In Jesus' name.